Well, if you would, turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you have just joined us, we're working through the book of Colossians. And thank you for Karen for reading. My wife suggested we read through the text last night for devotions. And my son goes, but that'll spoil tomorrow. <laughs> I want to be surprised. I said, well, okay. Uh, so here we are, right? Colossians chapter 1. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we are grateful because uh, your son has paid the price for us. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We need to re read it. <laughs> we need to love it and we need to live it. And so, Father, as we come to the text this morning, move Hophetus out of the way and allow your word to speak to us. And may we not walk out of these doors the same because we have encountered these ancient words that are living and true. In Jesus' name, amen. I can still remember it as if it was yesterday. I had the opportunity to serve as a professor for several years, and I had this young man that was in my office. He was as nervous as a hen at a Fox convention. I couldn't figure out what was going on. Sweat was just dripping down his brow. I thought for sure what he was going to tell me was that he plagiarized on the last paper that he had submitted. I, I didn't know what to expect, but I thought this is where we're heading. And he's kind of mumbling over his words. And I finally said, spit it out, boy. You know, I got to, I've got a lot of work to do. Can we move on? Just tell me what the issue is. And he goes, I don't know the will of God. I said, okay, well, we'll deal with that one. Uh, and, and perhaps you're this morning saying, you know, knowing the will of God, yes, it makes me nervous as well. I mean, after all, what does that mean, the, the will of God, right? And Paul is going to highlight that in this section as he has been praying for the saints. And if you remember, uh, if you were here last week, Colossians is one of Paul's four prison epistles. He will write this from Rome under house arrest to a church, that is a church at Colossae, uh, that he does not know. He did not establish this church. There's only two letters that he pens in the entire New Testament canon that, uh, to churches he never visited or hadn't visited at this point. Uh, Rome, now he's been prison there, but he didn't establish the church, and Colossae. And we talked about the opening, and there is a, a structure to all of these letters. That's typical in the first century. And in this, after the greeting, he moves to what's called a thanksgiving or a prayer. And as we looked last week in verses 3 through 8, there is a call to thank God for the church at Colossae. And we talked about the faith and the hope and the love. And we're going to see those woven throughout this book. If you turn this tapestry over, there are three major threads, faith, hope, and love. And in the second part of his thanksgiving or prayer, he now turns to the Lord and says, and I'm praying for you you at Colossae. And he says in verse 9, for this reason we also, and who are the we? Well, you can go up to verse 1. It's Timothy, and I'm sure it's Epaphras, the founder of Colossae. Remember, he's imprisoned with Paul, according to the book of Philemon. And he says, we also, from the day we heard about you, and remember in verse 4, he said, we've heard about your faith, and we've heard of your love. I mean, this, this is a dynamic group of believers. They are on fire for God. And so Paul says, when we've heard, since we've heard about you, have not ceased praying. It's ongoing for you. And asking God, and here it is, to fill you with the knowledge of his will 
in all, and I want you to watch that word, it's going to occur five times in just these first few verses, and please him in all, well, he says, in, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Of all the things for Paul to pray for, I don't know about you, but I, I would have expected him to say, I'm praying that your hearts are encouraged. You know, Epaphras is in jail with us here in Rome. You know, be encouraged. Or, you know, we're praying that you can get land to build your new church building. We've been praying for that. Or praying that the false teachers don't take you captive, right? Or, or all these issues, you know, praying that, uh, you know, you love one another and the next potluck dinner goes well for you. Uh, there, there, there's none of that. Instead of all the things to pray for, he says, I pray that you can know the will of God. <laughs> I was thinking about this. Take an inventory of your prayers for one another. All right? Just this last week. You know, what, have you, what did you pray for? Their health? Right? Their safety? Maybe spiritual blessings? And, and Paul says, what I'm praying for you is this. Remember, this is a group he's not met. <laughs> of all the things, he says, I pray you know the will of God. And you go, the will of God. What, what does that mean, Paul? What, what are you talking about? Well, notice, first of all, he says that God would fill you with the knowledge Throughout Paul's writings, to know is very important. We're going to come back to this because Paul's going to highlight it later in this section. Knowledge plays a key role. But he says the knowledge again, as we see, of the will of God. Turn to 1 John, if you would. I want you to see this. 1 John 5. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Uh, it's Jude, go back, 3rd, 2nd, and then there's a 1 John. And it's chapter 5. And Paul writes these, or John writes these words. He says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given insight to know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. This call to know this one who is leading our life. And you go to Romans. Turn to Romans because this highlights it as well. Romans 12 I promise we won't flip too many times, but you have to see these couple texts. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed, now watch this, by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God. The will of God drives the New Testament writers. It's it, it, this insight into who God is. And we're going to see this as we unpack, unfold this text. It's comprehensive. And as we can see from Romans, the will of God must entail obedience. Now, there are a couple assumptions that Paul is making as he's laying this out. First of all, the assumption number one is that God's will can be known, right? We don't need a crystal ball. We don't need a horoscope. Apparently, Paul's will can be known, or Paul's prayer is rather shallow. I pray that you know the will of God. It assumes we can know it, that God can be known. A second assumption is that God orders the world. The purposes that lie behind all events and shapes the consequences of the globe that we live in, it's because God has willed it. God is overseeing it. And that's what Paul's saying is, I want you to know this. 
Psalm 37, the steps of a man or woman who are established by the Lord when he delights in his way, though he fails, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. In other words, God is going before us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And so Paul steps back to this church at Colossae. He says, I know I haven't met you. Times are difficult. Your leader is imprisoned. You're, you're being oppressed by false teachers. Things are not well. He says, you need to know the will of God. And I have no doubt that if Paul was to write to Community Bible Fellowship, one of the things he would definitely be saying is, I pray that you all know the will of God. Now, thankfully, he clarifies this because if, I don't know about you, I'm still going, okay, I, it's a little vague. I feel like I'm nailing down jello. What do we do with that, right? He, he says, in all spiritual wisdom, this is verse 9, and understanding. A better way to possibly word this in the Greek is that it states the knowledge or of his will, namely spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, the knowledge of his will is being clarified or consists of wisdom and also spiritual understanding. You go, okay, Hafidetz, that still needs some clarification for me. What are you saying? Well, what we're seeing here is that the will of God entails wisdom, and wisdom throughout Scripture is the knowledge of God, or knowledge that entails daily living. In other words, it affects every fabric of what we do and what we say. It, it's a term that occurs very frequently throughout the New Testament. And so the will of God entails wisdom. It also entails spiritual understanding is how the Net Bible here renders this. You could state that the wisdom and understanding are both characterized by spirituality. In other words, it's the spirit which governs. It comes from the spirit. It's what guides us. You think about Romans 7. Well, even back up. In, in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, he details what it means to be declared right before God. And he talks about, I've been sanctified, I've been justified in verse 6. God has set me apart. And when he gets to chapter 7, he goes, but I still have struggles doing what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And understanding the will of God, right? And what's, what's the secret? It's found in chapter 8. And what's in chapter 8 of Romans is dependence on the Spirit. And so Paul says that you will have the knowledge of his will, which is namely, which consists of wisdom and understanding from the Spirit that guides you, that directs you. Knowing God's will, I would argue, number one, is dependent upon the Lord. If you're writing, taking notes, write that down. And, and in fact, Paul says that God will fill you with this. It's dependent on the Lord. God is the subject, God is the source, and God is the object. Right? This is what we desire. If we want to know God, we have to be dependent on him. And secondly, God's will is walking in intimacy with him. You're not going to know the will of God if you're not in the word and in prayer, conversing with him. You know, I, I've talked to those students who sit in the office wanting to know the will of God. And, and some of them, yes, they're on fire for God. They're walking with the Lord. Others are living in sin. They're, they're not seeking after the Lord. You, how are you going to know the will of God? You're not walking with him. Right? It's like my cousin who decided that he was going to put up an electric fence to keep in the cows and side pasture. 
He didn't know anything about electric fences, but he'd read up, thought he knew a lot about them at that point, and so he knew how to wire it and get it secured. And a couple weeks later, he was tilling the garden, which is right next to one of the fences, and you know exactly what happened. He backed up, and I, he was fried. It took him whew, for a loop, and he couldn't let go of the tiller, so it was, and he goes, now I know about the electric fence, right? You get the idea. If, if we're not in the Word, we can learn a lot about God. I mean, I know. I studied with folks who, who knew a lot about the text, but they didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And Paul is saying, I desire that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will, which entails spiritual wisdom and understanding. It means a communion with God, a knowledge that's dependent on him, and, it, and, and the knowledge that is walking in intimacy with God. Proverbs 2, listen to this text. Proverbs 2, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of him. Did you catch that? This is a proactive. You're, it's not going to, you know, you, you can't put the Bible on the pillow and sleep over it and think it's just going to come. <laughs> and that's what Paul knows when he says this. When Paul says that you'll be filled with it, what he's praying for is that they might be walking in intimacy with God. You say, well, why? Why, why is that so important? He tells us in verse 10. Here's the purpose. So that you may live worthy of the Lord and please him in all respect. Living a life worthy. Paul harps on this throughout his writings, right? Worthy of the saints, living a life worthy of the calling, worthy of the gospel. And here he says, living it worthy of the Lord and the live here literally is rendered walk. It's walk the talk, right? Idea. Uh, to, 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 to govern your conduct. And the pleasing here is not, notice it's not pleasing for ourselves, not so that we can be puffed up, but it's pleasing God. And so why does Paul pray that they can grow in the knowledge of God's will? So that they can live a life that's pleasing and honoring to him. What a prayer, right? It's a prayer we should be praying for one another. And, and Paul doesn't end here. He says, how do you know that your life is worthy and pleasing to God? Right? What are the, what are the litmus tests that you're going to use here? And he gives us four. He says, number one, you see in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good deed. He's already talked about this. If you go back to the, the Thanksgiving portion of the prayer, he says in verse 6, that has come to you, that is the gospel. It's bearing fruit and it's growing. How do you know you're living a life that's pleasing to the Lord? You're bearing fruit. There's evidence that there is faith. It sounds like James, doesn't it? Faith without works is dead. There, there, there should be fruit. That's what the gospel produces. Secondly, he says that you should be growing, notice what he says, in the knowledge of God. Here we come full circle. Uh, knowledge was stressed earlier in the writing. And I love that you have bearing fruit and knowledge in tandem. Doctrine and duty, we call it among theologians. 
you can't have one without the other. If you do, you're in trouble. <laughs> this has to be a balanced scale. That's why Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans dealing with doctrine. It's only then that he deals with duty to the end of the book. Ephesians 1 through 3, doctrine. End of Ephesians 4 through 6, it's duty. They go hand in hand. And knowing the will of God, living it out, it should demonstrate itself in, in fruit, but also in knowledge of God. Right? I think of a fruit tree that's bearing fruit. There's a lot that goes into it to, in order to bear fruit. You got to fertilize the sucker. You got to prune that sucker, right? Uh, you you got to spray it on time to time. Uh, all these things that you got to do. And that's kind of like the knowledge portion of it. We need to be in the Word. Uh, we need to be, then, and not just for knowledge's sake, though, that it's spilling over into bearing fruit. Well, Paul doesn't end here. He goes in another evidence that we're living a life worthy of the Lord is that we are strengthened. You notice what he says, with all power according to his glorious might. I wrote down, it's operating by the power of the Spirit. It's a manifestation of God. And, and I love how Paul says to this church at Colossae, who undoubtedly and rightly so are probably a bit anxious. <laughs> They're suffering. Give them some slack, right? Uh, things are not going well for the church. And he says to this church that this glorious might allows you to display patience and steadfastness. You're a cool cucumber with the power of the Spirit, right? Working and in, in, in being in overseen by the power of the Spirit working in us. I find that great relief. And you young people who are in school and you face a teacher who's witty and very intelligent who is less than gracious to the things of Christianity and you take a stand in class and you may not be able to wax eloquent, that's okay. The power of the Spirit's going before you. Right? 1 Corinthians 2, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And living a life worthy, thank the Lord, it's not dependent on us. <laughs> I would be in trouble. It's the power of the Spirit going forth. And so when you engage that person at the grocery store or a fellow worker over Zoom, you say, let me tell you about the hope that I have. Yeah, it may not be as eloquent as Charles Ryrie or J.I. Packer. That's okay. Because <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit that's overseeing it. And so to you young people... Don't be bashful. The Spirit is going before you, and He knows. Veith, in his book, Loving God with All Your Mind, highlights this whole, he has a whole section on, listen, being empowered by the Spirit, allowing the, the Lord to work in and through us. And that's part of living a life that's worthy. So, as we see here, bearing fruit, <laughs> Growing in the knowledge of God, yes. Being strengthened with the power, and he's not done. He says joyfully, verse 11, going into 12, joyfully giving thanks to the Lord. Isn't that great? For a group that's struggling, he says, listen, give thanks to the Father. Paul already demonstrated that earlier in this prayer that he's delivered, that I thank the Lord for you, and he's modeling that for them. 
joyfully giving thanks. Uh, there is a, a tour guide that I've interacted with in Israel. It's not Avi, for some of you who know Avi. It's another guide that we've had. And this one is a believer. And I said, how, how did you come to know the Lord? He said, it was very simple. He said, I was giving a tour to some American Christians, evangelicals. And he said, they were joyful and they were thankful. And he said, you don't see that in Israel. <laughs> he said, that didn't fit the model that I know. And I wanted what they had. Isn't that great? And you know that. You've been in, in, you know, if you've been at the airport sitting and waiting and you go, you have to know Jesus. There's just something about you. You have to know Jesus. And, and that's a life that's living worthy, right? We're not sucking on prune juice. He said, we're, we're, we're giving thanks to God joyfully for what he has done, right? Okay, good. I know, more coffee. But here it is. So he says, listen, what are the marks of someone living worthy of a life that's pleasing to God? Well, it's simple. Bearing fruit. How are you doing in that realm? Right? Knowledge. Not for knowledge's sake. But it's part of that living worthy of the life that honors the Lord. Third, as he mentioned here, it's in being powered by the Spirit. And fourth, it's joyfully giving thanks to the Lord. Specific reasons for gratitude? I think he highlights that here as he says, giving thanks to the Father. And then he has this uh, really two or three verses that he highlights that and tells who is the Father? What has he done that we should give thanks? And he's also setting us up for next week, by the way, when we get to the Christological hymn. But notice he makes a couple points here. He says, we have a Father who allows us to share in his glory. We have a lot to be thankful for. Number one, we have an inheritance. He says, in the light, in verse 12. You know, I don't think he's referring to angels as some scholars think. No, he's talking about the saints, the father of lights. We get to participate. We are not of darkness. In fact, he says in verse 13, he delivered us from the power of darkness. You've been taken from the dark side, right? We have been removed from this and brought into the presence of the Father. And so he allows us to share in his glory. We have a Father who rescued us from the enslavement to this dark side and to sin. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been brought out of that. You've been taken from sin out of darkness in the realm of the domain. In fact, Ephesians 2 states that we were once children of disobedience. We were enslaved to the dark side, to sin and to all that that entailed. I love the term that Paul uses here. He says in verse 13, he delivered or he rescued. This term is used through 17 times in the New Testament. You say, why is this so significant? Because in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's used of God most often in reference to the exodus Listen to Exodus 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. There's a new Exodus. <laughs> the Lord has brought us out of our slavery to sin. Right? And all that that entails. And he says, he has delivered us. And he says, he, the one who has delivered us, and I love this, from the power of darkness. Yes, because now we're strengthened with all power according to the Lord, right? What a contrast here. 
and has transferred you to the kingdom of the son he loves. And that's the third point here. We have a father who gave us redemption through his beloved son. Literally, the text states this, it's the kingdom of the son he loves. That is a very unusual phrase in the New Testament. You don't often see that. What Paul's doing is he's getting, let me foreshadow what I'm going to talk about, and that's the son. So he's setting us up. But he says, this is, this is the one we have redemption, which means release from bondage through the payment of a ransom. Seven out of the ten times in the New Testament, Paul will use this term to stress this is the one. And how did he do it? By his blood. By his sacrifice, right? And so, Paul lays out in this very powerful segment of the prayer, a prayer for the saints. He says, I pray that you'll know the will of God. The will of God, which entails spiritual wisdom and understanding. The reason being that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And how do you know that? He gives us four things. I know Paul must have been a lawyer, right? And it's just very systematic as he moves through this section to let us know that this is the one. I was thinking about this text and, and, and just what are some takeaways? What are some things we can glean when we talk about the will of God? Thinking about the young man sitting in the office. Number one, God is not playing hide and seek with his will. Right? You, you had the young man that's sitting there saying, I don't know the will of God. You know, the Lord does and he wants to reveal it to you. That's why Paul says, hey, I want you to know the will of God. He's not playing hide and seek. In fact, he wants you to do his will more than you do. <laughs> Isn't that great? And so he's, he's invested much. That's what Paul's saying here in the latter part of this prayer. Look what God has done for us through Christ. And so God is not playing hide and seek. He, he desires that you do his will. The problem usually is we're too busy disputing <laughs> the will or the plan. George MacDonald wrote, I find that doing the will of God leaves me no time for disputing about his plans. Focusing on the Lord is vital. But you know, second thing is God's will entails reason. Knowledge is part of this. And there's a real danger when we relegate all of that to the realm of the subjective, isn't it? Uh, you might have had bad pizza last night, so careful. <laughs> uh, you know, you hear it. There were three green lights on my way to work today. God is calling me as a missionary to Greenland. <laughs> you laugh. I've heard it. You know, she's the one. I know it. God has designed it because I opened up my window curtains and she was walking across the, the sidewalk. Yeah, careful. God's will entails reason. There's knowledge. There, there's growing in the word and walking with him. Uh, so be careful. Let me give you a third. As we look at this text and think about God's will, not only is he not playing games with it, he entails reason. But third, God's will incorporates how God has made us. Our desires, our talents, even our experiences are used to fulfill his plan that he has for us. Right? I can assure you God's will is not that I run AV equipment. And Paul Drick and those over here should say amen. You know, when it comes to electronics, I'm happy I can get my computer on. Right? Uh, that's not how he's wired me. 
It's not how he's wired you. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. There's nothing more exciting to see about 50 to 70 people here at 9 o'clock buzzing around getting ready on a Sunday morning. That's the body. We don't need someone warming pews. We need people that are busy serving God here and in other ministries. Fourth, God's will entails the context of biblical instruction and promises. Never seek God's guidance on what has already been forbidden or commanded. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, you know, I've been praying, Lord, should I fudge on my expense report? Probably not. <laughs> Don't think you need to pray about that, right? Uh, Lord, you know, if, I, if, if I'm not supposed to lose my temper on the golf course, make sure I win this round. <laughs> Careful, right? We laugh. But God's will entails the context of biblical instruction. And that's what Paul is saying to this, uh, these body of believers. This God's will is that it rooted in the knowledge of him. And where do we get the knowledge of him? Here. Not from eating bad pizza, Right? Well, let me give you one final. God's will does not guarantee freedom from stress and problems. <laughs> but remember, the safest place in the world is in the will of God. Right? Corey Timboom, you know that story. He wrote The Hiding Place. They hid Jews in the early 40s in Holland. They got caught and she was sent to concentration camp. But she said the safest place was when I'm in God's will, even if it's in the eye of a storm. And that's the idea here. God's will, he's not playing games. If you're saying, I'm struggling knowing where God might have me, knowing what God's will is for my life, turn to the Lord, seek his face, seek godly counsel, be in prayer, look to reason. It's not subjective. Be careful. God's will incorporates how God has made you. Fourth, the context of biblical instruction and fifth, God does not guarantee freedom from stress. So if it's the path of least resistance, that's not necessarily God's will. <laughs> so keep that in mind as you journey through. J.I. Packer wrote a great little book called Knowing God. And if uh, you would like to read more on this subject, I would challenge you to pick up that great book. He said, there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When you truly know God, when you've communed with him, you have energy to serve him, boldness to share him, and contentment in him. So I would argue the other way. Are you struggling with contentment, boldness to share, energy to serve? Then how is your knowledge of God? Of all the things Paul could pray for, <laughs> pray you get the right color of carpet you all can agree on, right? Pray that the, the bulletins turn out right this week. Hope you get your website up and running. The first thing he prays for to this church is that you will know the will of God so that you can live lives that glorify him. Father, that's a powerful prayer. It's one that uh, we need. Lord, we long to know you. We long to have communion with you and, and, and to see insight. And Lord, our sin taints, it, it creates cataracts. 
on our souls and our eyes of the soul. Father, help us to commune with you well. Help us to seek your face. Lord, it's our desire that our lives are pleasing to you, that they are lives that when the end of the day hits and that tombstone is created, it says, life lived well for God. That's our desire. And the marks are clear, bearing fruit, growing in our knowledge, empowered by your spirit and joyfully giving thanks. Father, we love you. May the Lord, oh you, O oh Lord, fill our hearts with the knowledge of your will. In Jesus' name, amen.